morning? All right, so we've been in the middle of a series that we called our Focus Series for the month of January. And this morning's sermon is Focus on the Place. Focus on the place that God has you. A friend of mine went on vacation, and when he came back from vacation, I asked him how his vacation was, and he said, good. He said, the first day, we went to an amusement park, and we had fun with the kids. The next day, we went and we hiked a mountain. The day after that, the kids lived in the, in the pool the whole day. They were growing gills by the end of the day. And I said, well, what'd you do the second half of your vacation? He said, well, we spent the second half of our vacation planning next year's vacation. I said, you did what? He said, yeah, we started looking at Airbnbs and hotels and places we wanted to go and things we wanted to do. And I said, you gave up half of this year's vacation looking at places you wanted to go on vacation next year? And he said, yeah, I guess we did. We missed half of our vacation because we were looking at where we were going to go on our next vacation. We can become so enamored with a different place that we miss out on the place that God has for us right now. We miss out on what he has for us right here today. The timing of this message is perfect with the snowstorm that we got earlier this week. On Monday morning, I had to go to Batavia, and I got out, and I snowblowed, and I got all the snow cleared, and then I started driving to Batavia, and that was a kind of a sketchy drive to make it Batavia, but I made it there. And then while I got there, three people said to me the exact same thing. The first one was this lady at Aldi. She was out pushing her cart, and the, the parking lot hadn't really been plowed yet, so she couldn't. She like hit the snow as she came out the door and then couldn't really go forward. So I, I dragged her cart to her car for her, and then she said to me, remind me why I live here. <laughs> and then I went to Walmart, and Walmart's parking lot hadn't been plowed, and there was tons of people stuck in the parking lot. And some guy was out brushing off his car, and he couldn't get his car to go backwards or forwards. So I went over, and I helped him, and I pushed his car while he was spraying me in the face with snow. And then when I went up, he said, thank you so much. And he said, remind me why I live here. So that's what I'm going to do this morning, is I'm going to remind you why you live here. We tend to believe that we picked our house where we live, maybe based on the yard or based on the school district we wanted to be in, or our neighborhood, or the house had a certain number of bedrooms and bathrooms, or maybe it was just the only place that we could find for sale when we needed a house. We think that we picked our house based on what we wanted. But in actuality, God placed you in that place. And God placed you there for a very specific purpose. That means that each one of us are actually missionaries to the place that God planted us right now. We're there to reach the people around us, there to make a difference in the lives of the people that God has sent us to. I'm going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning, but before we get there, I want to give you guys a little bit of a history lesson leading up to Jeremiah 29 so you have some context for what the scripture says. So we have the Jewish people. And the Jewish people have a united kingdom. Everything is going well for the most part, and they have a leader, and his name is Saul. Then Saul's time comes to an end, and we have a new leader, and his name is David. Then following David, we have a new leader, and his name is Solomon. Then in 931 BC, this is almost a thousand years before Jesus is born, the nation splits into two. We have the northern nation and the southern nation. The northern guys are called Israelites, and the southern guys are called Judah. 
The problem is neither side is really listening to God. Honestly, it's kind of like our country right now, where our country is kind of divided into it feels like, but really neither side is really listening to God. And God says, if you'll live the way that I'm calling you to live, you'll walk under my blessing. But if you come out from under that blessing, you're going to find a curse. And that's exactly what happened to the Jewish people. So in 781, this Syrian army comes along and they say to the northern kingdom, the Israelites, you guys are coming with us. And they take them into exile. Some of those Jewish people flee to the southern, uh, southern nation. Then the southern guys, Judah, they're not really doing much better. And then King Nebuchadnezzar comes along in year 582 and says, you guys are coming with me. And they take them in exile to Babylon. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, which is spelled out super clearly in Matthew chapter 1. And it's spelled out in specific detail, Jesus' lineage and where he came from and his line to fulfill all the prophecies. The Israelites and their history was super important. Their geography was super important. The place that they lived was super important. And the place that you live is also super important. So that brings us all the way up to the prophet Jeremiah, who prophesies to those people who are exiled in Babylon. In Jeremiah 29, it's a letter written to the Israelites from God through the prophet Jeremiah. These people are 700 miles from home in a foreign land. And I don't know if, if you guys have traveled overseas, but sometimes when you travel overseas, like everything just feels so different. It feels so foreign. All the smells are different. The sounds are different. The people look different. Just nothing feels comfortable or normal. That's what these people are experiencing, and that's who this letter is written to. So Jeremiah, we're going to start off in chapter 1. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. <clears throat> Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of a city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So in verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. Now, when I gave you that little history lesson, I told you that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, took these people into exile. But here, God, speaking through Jeremiah, says, it's I who took you into exile. Now, if you're reading this letter, I just want you to think for a second. These people whose lives were just uprooted. They were taken out of their city, the place that they loved, out of their nation, and taken to Babylon. And they are looking at Nebuchadnezzar as this evil, wicked king that took them into exile. And then God speaks to them and God says, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it was me. How would you feel about that if you were in this foreign land and your family was all messed up, your life was all messed up, and then God says, it was I who did it. 
I think these people would be pretty mad, be pretty frustrated, like, God, how did you do that? And why would you do that? To which God could have easily said, well, I warned you for like 500 years that you weren't living for me. And because of that, now I have to bring you to this place to discipline you and teach you. And I'll keep you here for 70 years, but then I'll let you go back to your city. The first thing that I see in this portion of scripture that I want you to see is I want you to see the sovereignty of God in your life. I want you to see the sovereignty of God in your life. God sovereignly sent you to the place that you're at right now. If you're taking notes, I want you to take a pen and just write down your address. If you're not taking notes, just maybe in your mind, just picture your address. God sent you to that place. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't that the seller accepted the offer on your house. It wasn't that your family gave you this house as an inheritance. It wasn't that that was the only house you could find in your budget. God sent you to that place. It was he who did it. And we need to learn an important lesson that the Israelites had to learn, which is, if it wasn't good for me, God wouldn't have sent me here. So the reason that God sent you to that place that you're at right now is because he believes it was good for you. Even if you can't see why it's good for you, even if it doesn't make sense right now, even if it feels like everything is going wrong, God says, I sent you to that place because it's good for you. I had a friend who was moving from one place to another. They lived where they were for a while, and they felt like God spoke to them, and they said that there was, they felt like God said there was a time and season for everything under the sun. And when God spoke that word to them, they felt like it was a clear word from God to move. And they'd been praying about whether or not they should move, and so they decided they were going to move. So my friend got this new job, and they put in an offer on a house, and the offer was accepted. And then he went back to the house with an inspector to look through the house and see, make sure everything was okay, and there was nothing major wrong with the house. And so he's walking through the house with the inspector, and they're looking at the foundation. And when they walked into the front of the house, there was a flower bed there, and he saw something sitting in the flower bed that he hadn't noticed the first time they had looked at the house. And he thought, that's weird. I wonder what that is. So he walked over, and it was a plaque, and it said, to everything there is a season and a time and every purpose under the sun. It was that same scripture from Ecclesiastes that God had already spoken to them. And so it was a real confirmation to him. He felt like God was saying like, yep, this is the place I have for you and I want to make it really clear. So they went through the rest of the inspection. Then uh, my friend called the realtor when they left and he said to the realtor, hey, there's this plaque in the front garden and I want that plaque. I don't care what it costs. Will you contact the seller and ask them if they'd be willing to give me or sell me that plaque? So the realtor was like, okay. So the realtor called the seller and said, like, hey, would you be willing to give that plaque to the guy who's buying the house? He really wants it. And they said, sure. So they left it. So he took that plaque and he screwed it to a tree in the backyard, in his, in his backyard. And then every time he starts to wonder, like, why am I here? What am I doing here? He can go back to this plaque and he can remind himself that it wasn't just his decision to move there. It wasn't his will and his wife's will that brought them there. It was God who brought them there. And there's been a number of times over the years that he has needed that reminder that it wasn't just my random decision that brought us here. It was God who brought, it here, brought us here. The day his septic tank failed and he had to spend 10,000 bucks on a septic system they were not planning on, he needed that reminder. 
A day he had a fight with his boss and he left and he didn't know if he was going to have a job anymore. He needed that reminder that it wasn't just me who decided to come here. It was God who brought me here. It was God who brought you where you are. Acts 17.24 says, Then God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. God determined the time that you were going to live and he determined the boundaries, the places where you are going to live. When you realize this, you start to look at your area that you live a little bit differently. Maybe you stop to be so frustrated with your neighbor's idiosyncrasies and the fact that they throw their snow just a little bit onto your driveway and stop being so frustrated with them. You start to look at them and say, you know what? Maybe I was sent here by God to build relationship with that person. Maybe I was sent here to reach that person. Can you imagine how easy it would have been for the Israelites to take on a victim's mentality. I mean, they were just living their life, doing their thing, and Nebuchadnezzar comes along and takes them, basically kidnaps them, brings them to Babylon, and holds them there. Can you imagine how easy it would be to feel like victims in that situation? Like, why us? Why this? Why is this happening? What did we do to deserve this? I mean, we get pulled over by the police when we're speeding, And we get frustrated. Like we know we were breaking the law. We know we were doing something we shouldn't have done. And our authority is dealing with us. And we feel like, why us? Why did that guy not get pulled over? Even though we know we were speeding, we get frustrated still. It would be so easy for these people to feel like a victim. But then God speaks to them through the prophet. And he says, it's I who carried you to Babylon. It's I who brought you to the place you are. We need to embrace God's sovereignty and embrace that it's him who brought us to the place we are. It can bring us a lot of comfort when we realize it wasn't just a random decision that we made that brought us here, but it was God himself that brought us here. I want you to look at your address again one more time this morning. And I just want you to hear God speak to you this morning. It was me. It was me who brought you there. It wasn't just a random happenstance wasn't just random circumstances of your life. It was me who brought you there. And he brought you there for a purpose. Then in the next verse, Jeremiah 29.5 says, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. The thing that stands out to me in this portion of Scripture is this idea of settling in. Settling in to the place that God put you. He's telling the people, these Israelites, this is not like a hunker down and just survive for 70 years. He's saying, you need to prosper in this place. You need to grow in this place. You need to thrive in this place. The difference between someone who's in a place just temporarily or someone who's going to be there for a long time is a huge difference. If you took your family and you moved into a place for the weekend and you're just going to be there for the weekend, 
There's all kinds of stuff about the house that's annoying, stuff that doesn't work for you. You're not really going to make any changes. You're just going to deal with it for the weekend. But if you're going to be there for 70 years, you go, okay, like we need to start to make this thing work for us. Maybe we need to take down this wall so we can see from the kitchen to the living room. And maybe I need to put a window in the back of the house so I can see the kids in the backyard. Like you start to make this place comfortable for you. And that's what God is saying to do. He's saying, in the place that I planted you, in the place that I brought you, begin to settle in. You can't love the place that God has you until you accept God's sovereignty. But when you go a step further and you begin to put down roots and settle in, it positions your hearts to love the people around you well. It positions your heart to love the people around you well. God isn't calling you just to suffer through the place that he has you. He's calling you to thrive. He's calling you to put down roots and settle in. I want to contrast for you two different ways that I kind of see people um, respond to being where God has sent them. The first way is people who go where God calls them to go, but they never really settle in. And the second one is people who embrace the place that God sent them, and they do settle in. And I want to contrast that for you in two stories. Uh, There's a family I know that was from one of the biggest cities in the world. And uh, they had generation after generation of people in their family who lived in the city. And their family was a family of businessmen and entrepreneurs. And they were like city people. Like everything that you think about a, a city person, every stereotype you know about a city person, that was these people. And God had called these people to move from the city and go to a place that was incredibly rural. Like if you think Warsaw's rural, like this place was way, way more rural. The place that he was calling them to was at the base of a mountain. It would be like miles and miles between neighbors. Like if you run into, if you need to yell for help, it's kind of pointless because no one's going to hear you at this place. Like it's miles and miles between neighbors at this place. So God called them to this place, but they didn't feel very comfortable about it. They were just like, I don't know. In fact, the truth is they fought it with everything they had, and they tried to find any other possible place they could go, anything else they could do. But God shut every single door. And the only reason they really went to the place that God called them to was because the business that they owned eventually had to shut down, and they felt like they had basically no other option. Like God had just shut every other door in their life, and this was the last thing that they, last option they had, so they went there. So these people went to this rural place and there was some people that God had called them to minister to. But the ministry to these people was never really fruitful or effective. The truth was they kind of looked down on these people that God had called them to minister to. When I would talk to them, they would call the people either hicks or mountain folk. And neither of those terms were affectionate terms in their mind. They looked down on these people. They didn't like the way that these people spoke. They didn't like the way that these people lived. They didn't like what they did with their money. They just didn't really like these people. And they never settled in. And they tried to minister to these people. And these people tried to receive ministry from them. But it never really stuck. It never really went past skin deep. Because these people could feel that these people looked down on them and thought less of them. And they never settled in. And their ministry was never effective. And as long as I knew these people, they felt like fish out of water and they were like miserable in this place. There was another family who God had called 
to move to a different place than where they were. These people were actually from um, Upper Peninsula in Michigan, and God called them to move to a place in southern Florida. And these people were really fair-skinned. Most of the people in their family had red hair, and they kind of liked Upper Peninsula. So like the thought of like being out in the sun in South Florida was just like, I don't know about that. Like That doesn't sound too fun to them. But they went to this place that God called them to, and they jumped in with both feet. Like they gave it everything they had to settle in and connect in this community. They plugged into every event their church was doing in the community. They got involved in everything they could find to settle in. Their kids joined sports teams. Like these guys were plugged in. Well, in this community, it was actually a very um, wealthy area. And in this community, there was somebody who stopped taking care of their lawn. And it was an area where, like, everyone's lawn was manicured perfectly. To make matters worse, they, were, they lived in a place that had an HOA, and everyone was required to keep their lawn manicured just so. But this lady stopped taking care of her lawn. So the HOA gave her all kinds of warnings and tried to get her to start taking care of her lawn. She wouldn't do it. They started fining her. Eventually, they went to the mayor's office and they said, like, hey, like, this lady won't take care of her lawn. Can you guys do anything about it? The mayor's office was considering putting a tax lien on the woman's property because she refused to take care of her lawn. It was becoming like a big problem in the community. Like mice were overtaking the area and it was just like a problem. So this guy who moved to this area and got connected and really started getting settled in, he set up a meeting with the mayor and he wanted to just go and meet with her and let her know who he was and introduce himself and let her know he was in the area and some of the things their church was doing to try and get connected. And so he went and he met with her. And when he met with her, she had had a meeting about this person who wouldn't take care of their lawn right before they met. So she came out of that meeting and he looked at her and she looked kind of frustrated. He was kind of like, oh, I wonder what her deal is. So he introduced himself and he told her about what they were doing in the community and how they were trying to settle in and get plugged into the community he said, the real reason I wanted to meet with you is I want, wanted to know if there's anything we could do to serve you. If there's anything at all that us or our church could do to serve this community, like let us know. We would love to do that. And the mayor kind of said, kind of in a snarky way, you could get this lady to mow her lawn. And he kind of stepped back for a second. He's like, is that a real thing? Like you want me to get some lady to mow her lawn? And he, she goes, well, could you? And he goes, probably. I don't know. I'll try. She said, that would be amazing if you could get this lady to mow her lawn. So this pastor went over to this lady's house and he knocked on her door and she didn't answer. And so he came back the next day, knocked on her door again, and she didn't answer. He couldn't believe it. He could see why people were frustrated. The the lawn was literally like this deep, like it was crazy, like it looked like a jungle. So he said, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the church. I'm going to get some people from the church and we're going to come back and take care of this lady's lawn. I don't really know if we're going to get in trouble for this. I don't know if she wants us to do this or not, but we're just going to do it anyways. So we got some people from the church, and they came back to take care of this lady's lawn, and the lawn was this deep. So first they went in with an army of weed whackers and started just knocking all the weeds down, and they raked out all the heavy grass and put it in the back of a truck, and then they got lawnmowers with baggers, and the lawnmower could go like two feet, and then the bag would be full, so it took like all day for them to take care of this lawn. People would drive by and honk and wave at them and yell, thank you, out the window of their car while they were there doing this. As it got near the end of the day, they were finishing up the lawn and it was starting to look like everyone else's lawn like it was supposed to. And a group of people had gotten together from the community and they were all cheering and they said, one, two, three, and they all shouted, thank you. 
they thought, this is awesome. So the pastor had made a card for the woman, and so he went and he tried to stick it in between the gasket, between the door and, and the gasket there. And as he was doing that, the door opened, and the lady said, can you come in? So he came in, and he was, he was really surprised. He thought it would be an elderly woman or something like that, but she wasn't that old at all. She was pretty young, but she looked like she was in rough shape. So he asked her how she was doing, and she said, I just want to say thank you guys for taking care of my lawn. And she said, I, I, just, I wasn't able to keep up with it anymore. She had been fighting cancer, and the cancer had gotten worse and worse, and she was struggling more and more. And she said when she first started getting treatment for the cancer, her son was coming over and was taking care of the lawn for her, but he had been deployed to Afghanistan, and unfortunately her son never made it home. So she didn't have anybody to help with her lawn. She was depressed. She was getting her butt kicked by cancer and the treatment. She was just really struggling. So she said, thank you so much for coming and doing that. And the pastor said, would it be okay if we sent a different person over every week to help you with your lawn? And she said, that would be great. And when the pastor was telling this story, he said, most of you would be surprised to know that this person who we ministered to, not only did that person beat cancer, that person came to our church, that person accepted Christ, and you all actually know that person. This person has been the secretary at our church for the last 15 years. Been one of the most faithful people at our church. One of the most faithful servants that I've ever had who's, who's ministered with me. He said, we would have never gotten to know this woman. We would have never had the opportunity to minister to her if I didn't settle in and embrace the place that God had for me. When you settle in and get connected, you say, this is my place. This is the place God has called me, and I'm going to do everything I can to improve it and to make it all that God dreamed it could be. Then in Jeremiah 29, 7, it says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The word that's used there for peace and prosperity is shalom. Shalom is a word that we don't use very much these days, but it's a very powerful word. It means wholeness, soundness, completeness, peace, harmony, prosperity, and tranquility. Shalom is what was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. And shalom is what Jesus came to restore to a broken world when he came to die on the cross. God put you where you are in your neighborhood to bring shalom. God put you there to bring wholeness, soundness, completeness, harmony, prosperity, and tranquility. When I look at the body of Christ as a whole, I have to ask myself, like, is shalom what we're bringing to the table? Is shalom what we're offering to a broken world around us? i got to be honest and say, sometimes I don't think that's what we're bringing to the table. I don't think that's what we're bringing to our neighborhoods. I look at Christianity as a whole, and I think there's a lot of things that we're loud about. And oftentimes, the things that we're loud about are things that we're against, things that are encroaching on our beliefs, things that are encroaching on our way of life. I can understand why we would be loud about that. But are we bringing shalom with the same intensity that we're speaking out against the things that we're against? I'll give you an example. I think most Christians would say they're against abortion. 
that abortion is evil and we don't believe it's right. And so oftentimes Christians are very, very vocal about that. But are we as intense in our support of mothers who got pregnant unexpectedly as we are in speaking out against abortion? Are we as intense about adoption as we are about abortion? Are we intense, as intense about speaking life as we are about speaking out against abortion? I think speaking out against things is, is good, but I also think we're called to bring shalom. We're called to bring the ministry of reconciliation. Is that what we're bringing to the people around us? Is what you're bringing to your neighborhood, to your street, to your community, the place where you live, is it peace? Is it tranquility? Is it completeness? Is it harmony? Prosperity? I heard a funny story about snow removal, and I knew I, I knew I had to work it into a sermon somewhere, so I figured this was the week for it with all the snow we got. There's a story I heard about these two guys. They lived in, they lived in the same neighborhood. Um, they were Frank and Howard were the guys. They actually became pretty good friends, Frank and Howard. They were businessmen in the same town, and they were very, very involved in the communities. Their businesses sponsored little leagues, and they gave money to the YMCA. And if there was ever any project in the community that was going to happen, these, their businesses gave to those projects. And then Frank and Howard also became friends outside of just business. Frank and Howard were in a racquetball league together that they played in twice a week. And then Frank and Howard also got together with a group of guys to play poker once a month. So these guys became good friends and their families became friends. Frank owned a lumber yard and Howard owned a um, hardware store. So there was a little bit of overlap between their businesses, but they both found a way to succeed in their communities and they had both been in business for like 25 years. Well, Frank was getting a little bit older and he didn't know how much longer he was going to be able to keep uh, work in the lumber yard, and it was really starting to weigh on him. And his son had started to take over a lot of the responsibility at the lumber yard, and eventually he handed over the lumber yard completely to his son. So his son was younger, and he was energetic, and he wanted to see the lumber yard grow, and he had ideas. And one of his ideas was he realized that there was people who were coming to the lumber yard and getting some of their material, but then they'd have to stop somewhere else to get some other things they needed to complete their project. So he said, "Can I?" find a way to get everything they need here so that our lumber yard could become like a one-stop shop for these people. So that's exactly what he did. He started expanding the lumber yard. And he wasn't really trying to push Howard out of business, but in actuality, that's kind of what happened. Howard wasn't quite ready to retire, and he wasn't quite ready to let go of the business, but they were losing enough business that it kind of didn't really make sense to stay open anymore. So Howard ended up closing his business. Howard and Frank were at a racquetball tournament and they got into a conversation about this and that conversation turned into an argument and eventually Frank pushed Howard and Howard cocked his fist back to throw it at him and a friend had to step in between them and the two didn't talk again after that day. Like Howard was just so hurt by the fact that Frank and his son would expand their business to the point that it pushed his family's business right out of business. So this went on for eight months, these two didn't speak to each other. And it was a small town, like they would see each other at events and they would just turn and walk away. They would see each other at the store and they would just look the other direction, they wouldn't even speak to each other. Frank joined a new racquetball league in a new town and he stopped going to poker night and he hadn't seen Howard in a long time. Well, Ted was Frank's brother 
And he got kind of frustrated about this, and he tried to get these two guys back together and said, like, can we work this out? Can we talk? <clears throat> but they just weren't having it. So fi finally, Fred had had enough, and he was kind of frustrated, like he wanted them to get back together, but he was also kind of frustrated because he missed playing poker. And he was like, you guys screwed up my poker night. Like, this is not cool. So he tried to get them back together, but they wouldn't do it. So he devised a plan for how he could get these two guys back together. When Frank looked, worked at the lumber yard, they were in the upper peninsula of Michigan and they would get killed with snow. So when Frank worked at the lumber yard for 25 years, he wore the same jacket and the same bibs when he was out running the forklift and doing stuff in the lumber yard. Everyone, rec everyone in the town recognized Frank's coat and his bibs. So Ted got on the internet and tried to find the same coat and the same bibs. And by a, a miracle, he found the same coat and the same bibs. They were in excellent condition. Franks were not in ex excellent condition. So he got these, he ordered these bibs and the coat, and he started making them look dirty and greasy and nasty so it looked just like Franks. So he said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Howard travels pretty regularly, and so Howard had told Ted that he was going to be out of town. So he said, all right, I'm going to wait till he's out of town. I'm going to wait till we get a snowstorm. And I'm going to put on a ski mask and then put on these clothes that look like Frank's clothes. And I'm going to go snow blow Howard's driveway. And the neighbors will see me do this. And then he'll go to the neighbors and he'll say, hey, did you guys snow blow for me? And they'll say, no, it was Frank who did it. So just as he planned, Howard was going out of town for the birth of a grandchild and they get killed with snow. Four straight days of snow, three feet of snow is in, in Howard's driveway. And he knows Howard's going to be coming home on Sunday night, and he's going to be like trying to wade through this snow to get to the garage and get the snowblower. So he goes over there. He plan goes smoothly. He puts on these clothes that look just like Frank's clothes. He goes over there. He's snowblowing the driveway. One of the neighbors sees him and waves at him and thinks it's Frank, and he says, hey, how you doing? And he thinks, okay, we're good to go. Like, I'm, I'm, this is going to work. Snowblows the driveway, goes home. Howard comes home. He drives up to the driveway. He can't believe it. His driveway is clear. He thinks, one of my neighbors must have done it. So the next day, he sees his neighbor going to take the trash out, and he goes running over, and he said, hey, I just want to say thanks for snowblowing my driveway. And he said, I didn't snowblow your driveway. He said, that's weird. So he goes to another neighbor. He says, hey, I just want to say thanks for snowblowing the driveway. He says, you're never going to believe it, but I saw Frank out there doing it. He says, Frank? Like Frank, Frank? He says, yeah, he was out there wearing his bibs and coat. He waved at me. He says, that's weird. So he goes inside. It's kind of bothering him. He tells his wife, Frank did it. The neighbor told me Frank snowballed the driveway. She said, Frank, Frank? He said, Frank, Frank. Said, that's weird. So he goes on about his business, tries to forget about it. A couple weeks later, he's going out of town again. Ted says, all right, nothing happened. I'm going to do it again. So this time he goes over and snow blows, but this time Ted's wife is home. So, sorry, Howard's wife is home. <laughs> so Howard's wife comes to the door, and she says, hey, Frank, I just want to say thanks for snowballing the driveway. He said, oh, no problem. And he said, you know what? This has gone on for too long. Would you tell Howard I'd like to get coffee? And she said, you know what? You're right. I'll tell Howard. So Howard comes home. He goes in to talk to his wife. He says, the Driveway is clear again. She said, I know, Frank did it. He said, Frank, Frank? She said, Frank, Frank. She said, this time I talked to him. And he said, he's sick of this. This has gone on for too long. He wants to go out to coffee. Howard says, I don't know about that. Howard doesn't really know what to do. Howard and Frank are both horrible at apologizing. They, they both know this about each other. Like, they've been friends for a long time. They don't really apologize. They just kind of 
ignore stuff and go on. So his wife says, I think you should call him and see if he wants to go get coffee. Howard says, I don't know. I'll sleep on it. So the next day he gets up and she says, like, I think you ought, to call, you ought to call Frank and see if he wants to go get coffee. So he does. He calls Frank and says, hey, Frank, I was wondering if you want to go get coffee. And Frank's like, yeah, I guess so. So when do you want to go? And he says, how about tomorrow? So they go get coffee. They're catching up on all the details of life. And Howard's being nice because Frank snowblowed his driveway. And Frank's being nice because Howard's being nice, and he doesn't really know why, but he's like, well, you know, whatever. So they're catching up about life. He's telling them about his new grandchild. And then Howard says, well, I just want to tell you, thanks for being a really good friend. And Frank thinks that that's Howard's way of apologizing for being a jerk and trying to throw fists at him and says, thanks, you know, you've been a really good friend for a long time too. Frank starts joining the, joins the racquetball league again. Frank starts coming to poker. Everything goes back to normal. It's two years before the truth comes out that Frank had never snowblowed Howard's driveway. Howard was going away on vacation. He says to Frank, he says, hey, would you be willing to snowblow my driveway again for me? And Frank says, again? He says, well, yeah, from a couple years ago when you snowblowed my driveway. Frank can't remember what he's talking about and thinks he must have snowblowed his driveway and forgotten it. So he says, okay, sure, I'll do it again. So he goes over and snowblows his driveway again. Ted was willing to do whatever it took to bring shalom between Frank and Howard. It cost him money. Like he had to go out and find this stuff on the internet and buy the bibs, and he was out there rubbing grease in it strategically to make it look dirty, just like Frank's. He had to go over and snowblow when it was three feet deep, and he didn't really want to. He went over and snowblowed again. He was willing to get dirty and do whatever it took to bring shalom in his community. What's stopping you from bringing shalom in your community, in your neighborhood? What's stopping you from embracing the place that God sent you and settling in? Most of the time, it's stuff that's small. It's stuff that's petty. It's selfishness. We want our way. We like things the way that we want them. And we end up sacrificing the opportunity to bring shalom to the place that God has called us to. Would you bow your heads this morning? I just want you to take a second and evaluate your life. Can you see the sovereignty of God that it's him who brought you to the place you are? Maybe the circumstances are a little sketchy. Maybe it wasn't what you had planned that you ended up here. It was God. It was God who brought you to this place. Don't kid yourself and think that you did it or it was some random circumstance. God is speaking to you and he's saying, it's me who brought you here. Are you going to settle in and embrace the place that he put you? Put down roots and live here like you're going to be here for a long time. Are you going to begin to make improvements to the place, doing whatever you can to make your neighborhood all that it could be? Are you going to bring shalom? Are you going to bring wholeness, soundness, completeness, peace, harmony, prosperity, and tranquility? Are you just going to dump gasoline on the fuel of chaos that's going on around us? God's asking you right now, will you be my instrument of shalom in the place where you are? You know, I think most of us, <clears throat> we would say we want to bring shalom. We want to bring peace. 
But the truth is, the last couple of years have been tough. It's been tough to be here. And I don't mean it's been tough to be at Family Life Church or tough to be in Warsaw. It's been tough to be a human on the planet. It's been tiring. It's been frustrating. And I think most of us have been find ourselves left in a place where we feel like we don't even hardly have much shalom to offer. We don't even have much shalom to give. We're tired, we're worn out, and we're frustrated. I want to read a scripture over you that I felt like the Lord gave me, just to, a scripture to bring refreshing to your soul. So if you feel comfortable, if you could just lift your hands just like this, just to receive refreshing from the Lord. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's okay, I understand. But I believe the Lord wants you just to receive refreshing this morning. You're tired. You've been carrying a weight that's felt super heavy for a long time. And it's made you feel like you don't have a whole lot of shalom to give to the place around you. Hear these words from the Lord this morning. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you forgotten? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Are you weak this morning? Are you weary this morning? Hear these words from God. He gives strength to the weary, and He increases the power of the weak. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, They will walk and not be faint. Lord, I pray for each one who's here this morning. Lord, I ask that this scripture would become their testimony in this season. In a a season that's felt very wearying and tiring, you give strength to the weary and you increase the power of the weak. Lord, I ask that this would be each one of our testimonies. And as we're refreshed and renewed and restored in our soul, we would become instruments of peace. We would become instruments of shalom. Bringing wholeness, completeness, peace, harmony, prosperity, and tranquility. That we would settle in. That we would see the sovereign hand of God in our lives that brought us to this place. It wasn't just a random circumstance. It was you who planted us here. And you planted us here to grow and prosper and to bring peace. Lord, I ask you to touch each one who's here this morning. I ask that there would be a noticeable refreshing to their soul, that the heaviness that they've been carrying, the burden they've been carrying, that it would lift, they would lay it at your feet, and they would have shalom to offer to the world around them. Lord, let that be what we're known for in this area, as a people who bring shalom, who bring peace. Lord, I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place this morning. 
ask you to touch their hearts and continue to minister to them, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.